verses 1 through 14 reads, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task, each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Amen. Good morning, church. My name is Sam Kastensman. I'm the pastor of education here at Rio and also work at the school across the street. And if you've been with us uh, for the past several weeks, you know that we are in a series going through the book of Exodus that's entitled From Bondage to Freedom. And part of the reason why we're going through Exodus and part of the reason why we've entitled the series From Bondage to Freedom is it's not just a look at a story that happened 3,500 years ago. This is our story. You know, in the story of Exodus, we find a God who hears His people who are oppressed. They're facing bitter slavery. They're offering up their prayers to God, begging for deliverance. They are shedding real tears. God hears those tears. He comes down. He comes to a man named Moses and He says, I'm sending you back and I'm starting the process by which I'm going to liberate my people from their slavery. And the reality is, as we read this story, we find in a lot of wisdom that relates to us because here's the reality. If you're like me, and you are, in some ways, <laughs> you face a lot of slaveries. There are a lot of taskmasters in your life that are oppressive, that are hard to deal with, that are cruel 
And God, by his son, comes to you and says, leave your slavery. Turn from your taskmasters. We might not have those physical slaveries where someone is literally behind us holding the whip, but it is very real and very true that we all have spiritual or moral taskmasters that are behind us eager to whip us and drive us into oppression. And so we have a lot to learn from the Israelites, from the Lord in this season as he's bringing his people out of bondage and toward freedom. And in today's passage, Exodus 5, this is the first time that Moses has gone before Pharaoh, which is kind of exciting. If you remember last week what happened, Moses goes before the elders of Israel and he performs signs and he shows them that God has heard their prayers, that God is seeing what they are going through. And chapter 4 ends very differently differently than chapter 5 will end. At the end of chapter 4, they are so relieved that God is hearing them. They are so eager to be done with their slavery. By the end of chapter 5, they're angry at God. And they're angry at Moses. One of the things that I like, and you guys, I'm sure you know this if you've been coming, is that I'm kind of an archaeological nerd. Like, I love looking back into historical context, historical proofs, like where Moses walked, where Pharaoh lived, and seeing those stuff. And the reason for that, in addition to encouraging faith, is it's so helpful for me to remember these are real people. These people who cry out are real. Moses is real. His anxieties, his fears are real. This Pharaoh of this story is real. This oppression, this slavery is real. Their deliverance is real. And the more we look, the more we find that the Scripture just affirms. So when they're first enslaved, we're told that they're enslaved at a place called Goshen, which is in the northeast part of the Nile Delta. And so recently, Egypt is like the treasure of archaeology. If you're an archaeologist, that's where you want to be. There's so much history in Egypt. And so they go around digging all over Egypt, trying to uncover and find out more and more about history. And as they've been digging in through the Nile Delta, they have found lots of Semitic or Hebrew Palestinian settlements that are slave settlements. And where are they? They're exactly where the Bible tells us, in Goshen. Two of those places, the Bible names Ramses and Pithom. Ramses, which is also called Avaris. And as they dig there, Manfred Bittak, who's an archaeologist from the University of Vienna, did an archaeological rendering of what it would have looked like. And he says that there was a massive slave population. And so for a moment... I want you to imagine that you're Moses and you're coming back to the place of your birth and you see that slave quarters all over the place and it's not just going to Pharaoh and every one of those houses is somebody who's crying out for deliverance. Mothers 
whose sons have been taken away from them and thrown into the Nile. People that have been abused. People that are afflicted and oppressed. And you're coming to rescue them. You're going to Pharaoh because God loves them. And the excavations reveal, like we've said, this place just empties out right at the time of the Exodus. There's no destruction, no war, it just... And so they did geomagnetic surveys at this area. And one of the cool things about this is as they dug and did these surveys, they found that there were two palaces built right in this same place. This is the green things. On the map on the left, you see two green rectangles pointing to the north, northeast. Well, those were built by two different pharaohs. The smaller one was built by a guy named Thutmosis I, who would have been Pharaoh at the time of Moses' birth, if the Bible's timeline is trustworthy, which it is. And so why is it significant that Thutmosis I had a palace built right along the Nile at the time of Moses' birth? Here's your answer. What does the beginning of Exodus tell us? That Moses' mom, trying to save his life, puts him in a basket, lets him float down the Nile, and oh, there's Pharaoh's daughter who goes down and grabs him. Now, if you're a skeptic of the Bible immediately, and you don't know this, you immediately think, why in the world would Pharaoh's daughter be in a slave city? The capitals of Egypt, Memphis and Thebes, are hundreds of miles to the south. This is clearly myth, fables until the archaeologists dig and they find, no, Pharaoh's daughter would have lived there. There's his palace right by the Nile where she would have been to see him. And you fast forward 80 years and you find another palace that had been constructed by Thutmosis III. We talked about him last week. He's the Napoleon of Egypt. This mighty, mighty Pharaoh who'd built this enormous palace. And why is that significant? Because as we read the story of Exodus, what happens? Moses will go from talking with the elders of Israel and he will walk a short distance, have a conversation with Pharaoh, go back to the people of Israel, the slaves, and then back to the Pharaoh. It says one morning he woke up and went to Pharaoh. So the slaves are very near to Pharaoh. And what do we find in the archaeological record? He lives in the slave town. This is where the Pharaoh's palace is. And if you let your imagination of faith go, imagine how absolutely crippling with fear it would have been to go to the mightiest king on the face of the planet who is a warlord, mighty Napoleon type, walking up that ramp, going into that courtyard to face all of his magicians and all of the power of Pharaoh and to go to him and say, let my people go. There is a reason Moses said, send someone else. And God had already told Moses, you're going to ask for him. You're going to ask for him to let the people go. And he's not going to. And Moses, good. I'm glad. Because guess what? As he digs in to show how mighty and strong he is, he's only going to prove how mighty and strong I am. Moses is real. I want you to enter into this story. Enter into this slavery because it speaks to us. 
In Exodus 5, it begins afterwards. So after all the people are praising, yay, yay, God is hearing us. God has seen our affliction. And then Moses then goes before Pharaoh. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. That's not a big ask. You'll notice God doesn't say, let my people go, period. He says, let my people go that they may hold a feast for me in the wilderness. In other words, God doesn't start with a big ask. He comes to this cruel taskmaster and he says, just give them a little relief. Give them a little rest. No. Pharaoh is oppressive. He will not let his people go. They exist to serve him. How dare you ask? And then Pharaoh responds with this question that is kind of at the core of what we talk about today. And that is this. He asks this question. Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. Moreover, I'm not going to let Israel go. Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? I want you to stop for a moment this morning, I want you to think about all the ways that you're enslaved. And if you're like me, there's like, here's the list. (laughs) Man, I fight all these taskmasters. All these things that want to put me under the thumb. And I have to ask myself, when I consider who I give my loyalty to, who I'm going to serve, who I'm going to be mastered by, I have to ask that question, who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? That's going to be the key core question for Pharaoh. It's going to be the key core question for Moses. It's going to be the core question for the Israelites. And it's going to be the core question for us this morning. Verse 3, and then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And so here God is coming to them and he's saying, Not the full, let my people go and leave forever, but let them have a three-day journey into the wilderness so they can worship me. And I want you to ask a couple of questions. Like, if God is looking to impress the Israelites, why does He not say, let them come to me at some amazing oasis where there's an abundance of everything and food plentiful and, and crops and meat and wonderful things. I want them to come to me in an oasis. No, he takes these people who are in the middle of bondage and he says, let them come to me in the wilderness. Why? Why the wilderness? God, don't you want to like impress them? Why are you taking them to the wilderness? The desert, there's nothing there. And God is saying, exactly. Come to me in the wilderness. Let me show you That I alone, no other distractions, no other trinkets, no other things to cloud your vision or to distract your priorities. Just you and me come to me in the wilderness and see if I can satisfy you. 
And then one of these beautiful winks from the sovereignty of God that's looking forward to our ultimate Redeemer. Notice what he says. A three-day journey to the wilderness and out of Egypt. What is that? Like, when we've talked about Egypt, Egypt is known as the land of death. Let's take a three-day journey out of the land of death. Because one day I'm going to send a better deliverer. One far greater than Moses. And he is going to go down into the land of death. Death itself. And he's going to take a three-day journey. And he's going to conquer death and slavery and sin. And he's going to put an end to it all. And here's just one of these wonderful little winks of God saying a better thing is coming. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens. That's who we serve, by the way. A God who wants to bring you rest from your slavery. But this taskmaster says, you're letting them rest. Stop. Put them to work. Make them slave away. And that same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for yourselves. You'll notice he will not let them go on a three-day journey into the wilderness. But notice what he says. Let them go and gather straw. I'll give you fake liberty. I'll give you the appearance of liberty like you can go, but man, it better be for my service. The slaveries that we have in our life, do they not come to us with the appearance that it's about us, that it's about our liberty, that it's about like freeing us, and in reality, only so long as we serve that taskmaster. And so, yeah, you can go get straw. And here's, this raises the question, like, this isn't the kind of slavery where they have shackles on their feet. They don't have a fence around the slave quarters. They're allowed to go throughout Egypt and gather straw for themselves, which begs the question, why didn't they run? I mean, in the previous chapter, God comes to Aaron, who is in the midst of the slavery, and calls Aaron to leave Egypt to go to Mount Sinai to meet Moses. Aaron had no problem doing that. If he could leave, why didn't everyone leave? Why didn't they all make a break for it? Why why did they stay? And here's the reality, and man, we can relate to this. Sometimes slavery is a little bit more comfortable than freedom. Where would they go? Who would take care of them? How would they survive? Pharaoh didn't have shackles and fences. He had the fear of the people. So when I was over in Egypt, we came across these, and I think this is just kind of fascinating. You see these bricks from the buildings that slaves would have built in ancient Egypt, and you can still see to this day there's a brick. What's in that brick? Straw. And that straw would hold the brick together. If you made a brick without straw, it crumbles. It all, and I mean, even those are crumbling And there's something to that that you can slave away in this world for anything other than God. And what happens to the labors of your hands? It ends up like that. 
falling apart and crumbling. So Pharaoh says, Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no attention, no regard to lying words. This is a common trick of the enemy. I think you'll recognize it. Corey Tim Boom says this, If the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. I cannot tell you how much I hate my phone. <laughs> I hate that thing. Ding, 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 ding. Right? And it's just a task, man. It like, controls my, my calendar. It controls my... I, I don't have time. I feel constantly under the gun. And when that happens, when I'm, when I'm overwhelmed and I have all these deadlines and all these things to tend to and everything is competing for my attention, here's what happens. I don't have time to be quiet, to sit before the Lord and allow Him to show me where my priorities should be. Here's God coming to the Israelites and He's going to deliver them. He's going to deliver them. He's going to bring them out of this oppression. He's going to care for them. And Pharaoh is brilliant. Don't let them even start to think about that. Heighten their work so they don't have time to consider those words from Moses. And so they go slaving away. And the people were scattered through all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. And this, we think, man, God, like you, it just, you made the situation worse. Now they have to go and gather all this straw. And God is not surprised by this one bit. It says that they're scattered throughout all the land of Egypt. And let me tell you what's happening. As they're being scattered throughout all the land of Egypt, they are going with this story. What are you guys doing here? There's a battle going on. The God of the Hebrews, Yahweh, is going up against the gods of Egypt. And all over Egypt, word begins to spread. God is going up against the gods of Egypt, and everybody's watching. See, when, when God came to deliver them from slavery, here's the reality. Things got worse for them. If you ever try to leave your slaveries, it's going to get worse for you. At least out of the gates. But let me tell you why God does this. He is evangelizing through their affliction. You know, the reason why I'm standing up in front of you this morning is because God brought affliction to a faithful Christian named Perry Learned who worked in the office next to me. And I remember during that season, not caring about anything having to do with the Lord, but I was going through misery and all my idols were crashing around me. And I remember looking at him and his life was even worse. His circumstances were even worse. But I remember that he had a joy that I was jealous of. That even though all the stuff that I worshipped was falling down all around him, he was standing on a rock, he was confident, he was joyful, he was at peace. And I remember thinking, man, I want that. When he was walking away from his slavery, all this stuff came and afflicted him. And I'm here to tell you this morning, had God not done that, I would have never seen how precious he is. At least not then. God used that to make me want Him. 
Sometimes God will give us afflictions and hardships so that we can show the world that even all the other stuff that we may not have, it's okay because I have the one who satisfies. I'm standing on the rock. I don't need the shifting sands. So God is not asleep here. It's not accidental that this happened. God is accomplishing His purposes to show mercy to His people. And the taskmasters are even urgent saying, complete your work, your daily task, every day, each day, as when there was no straw. And so the intensity of their slavery climbs and climbs. And here's, here's one of the reasons why skeptics come against the Bible and this passage is because if you look at ancient Egypt, most of the records show us that slavery, I mean, slavery is never good, but you have vicious, oppressive, bitter slavery, and then you have some slaveries in the ancient world where you still had some rights and, you know, you were allowed to own things and you could go here and there as you pleased, but your, the product of your life belonged to someone else. And for most of Egypt, the slavery was of that sort. It wasn't bitter. It wasn't like someone behind you with a whip. But what archaeology and the historical record shows us is there's a shift right at the time of Thutmosis III when, when the slavery intensifies. And you go to the vizier. This is one more uh, piece of archaeology. It's a painting from the wall of a guy named Rechmeyer who is the vizier under Thutmosis III. This would have been the number two guy as the slavery is intensifying in Egypt during the Exodus. And what you find here is kind of fascinating. You see all of the slaves, and interestingly, what are they doing? They're making bricks. And so you can see them taking the mud and putting it in the water over to the left, and then they shove the mud down into those buckets, and they make bricks, and they come, and they start stacking them because they're building buildings. And you'll notice that red square is around an Egyptian ta taskmaster, and he's holding a whip, and in big hieroglyphs on the wall of the tomb of this vizier, in other words, this is how I ran things. The rod is in my hand. Do not be idle. That's not typical of Egypt. But it happened then. The rod is in my hand. Do not be idle. And so when they fail to meet their quotas, what happens? Verse 14 tells us, the foremen of the people of Israel were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? And the foremen met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. And as they came out from Pharaoh, they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you've made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and you've put a sword in their hand to kill us. And when I first read this part of the passage, my thought was, what is wrong with them? Like, why, why in the world are they angry at Moses and, and angry at God? Why, why aren't they angry at Pharaoh? He is the one who's doing the bad thing to them. And I realized, in all my battles with my slaveries, guess what I do? I don't get mad at the vice. I don't get mad at my slavery, my taskmaster. I get mad at anyone trying to take it away. I'm in a diet right now because I don't like my girlish figure. <laughs> I don't, like, what doesn't make me mad is the food, but someone who says, you probably shouldn't eat that. <laughs> I'll get mad at God 
when I have a salad yesterday and I didn't lose 20 pounds overnight. Like, <clears throat> come on, I'm all in. We do that. Why do we not get angry at our taskmasters? We get angry at those who love us enough to call us away from them. We get angry at the God who doesn't just deliver us from them instantly without a fight. But here's the deal. You look through history. Taskmasters never give up their slaves without a fight. Our country fought a war over it. It was kind of a big deal. This is taskmasters never give up their slaves without a fight. And I'm here to tell you, every single person in this room has a slavery, has a taskmaster that's coming and saying, you're mine. You're mine. And that taskmaster is cruel and oppressive and he will destroy your life if you remain comfortable in your chains. But sometimes slavery's safe. It's predictable. We don't like slavery, but we don't want freedom if it's going to come at a great cost. There's three kinds of slavery as best I can think of it. I'm sure there's more, but these are the kind that get me. The first one's the slavery of your appetite. And I don't mean that for food, even though. It's the slavery of appetite. It's, it's the kind of slavery where you're like, I can't walk away. Addiction. Man, I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I counsel families who have kids walking through addiction, husbands and wives that, whose homes are breaking because of an addiction. And if you're in this room right now and you're walking through an addiction, I know where you are. I've been there. I've had my share of far more intense addictions than food. And I can tell you the speech that you might be rehearsing in your seat right now. Oh no, he's going there. This is going to make it awkward between me and my wife or those who know my story and they're going to expect me to, to change, but I can't. I can't. Lord, I love you, but I can't. It's too strong and I am not strong enough. And I want you to hear that the Lord's response to that is, I know you are not strong enough. But I am. Come to me. I remember the year that I first started into I hate addiction. Not only for what I've seen it do to me. And you're, you're in it. You know it's destroying you. You won't deny it when you're being honest. But you can't stop. My first year in ministry, 2007, I had four friends of mine die of overdoses in a year. Marriages, in the time of being in pastoral ministry, marriages collapsing with wives who are saying, I wish he would just stop. I wish he would get help. No, and the destruction just... And if you talked with them and they were being honest, they would say, I wish I could quit. I wish I could stop. Boy, those appetitive taskmasters will own you and they will destroy you. 
Then you have the safety and comfort taskmasters. Now I'm getting up in everyone's backyard a little bit here. The safety and comfort is don't stretch me. I'm comfortable. God, I know you come and you call on me to do these things. You call on me to go out and evangelize. And it's like, oh, that's a little awkward. Don't stretch me. I'm comfortable. Or for those that are in a season of life or at a job right now where you know it's not healthy for you, where you know it's making a mess of your life, but it is safe. It pays the bills. I can get by. Don't want to upset the apple cart. And so I'll bow to the idol of safety and comfort rather than allowing God to stretch me. My father-in-law was a pastor in Georgia. He pastored three different churches on a circuit rider kind of a deal where he would preach at the different ones. And he said at about six years into that ministry, he should have quit. He was worn out, burnt out, abused by his congregants. He felt the joy of ministry seeping away from him. But he looked and he had four kids an income and didn't have any other skills that he felt he could use and so he bowed to the idols of safety and comfort and that ministry destroyed him to where it wasn't his choice to leave man it's hard to stand up against a taskmaster and then the last one is the taskmaster of identity we all get this one too What do people think of me? Where's my value? What's my purpose? What do I have to do to show everyone that I'm good enough? What mask do I have to wear to make sure that everybody thinks I'm amazing? That is an exhausting slavery. We all do it. Don't we? I hope. I mean, I don't hope. But I kind of hope. Because otherwise I'm really lonely. Man, I've got slavery after slavery after slavery after slavery after slavery. Taskmaster after taskmaster after taskmaster. And this life that comes to me and says, You're mine. You're mine. I will not let you go. It's oppressive. And so that question from the beginning of today's passage comes and if you're sitting in your seat right now and you feel uncomfortable and you're thinking man I wish he wouldn't have brought this up because now I have to address my slaveries and I have to confront my taskmasters and I already know I already feel like I'm set up for failure but here comes this question to you who is the Lord that I should obey his voice who is the Lord to you Who is the Lord that you should obey His voice? And when you hear those words, if you hear oppression, no. Yeah, God is holy. God expects us and calls on us to be all in, to lay our lives down and to surrender to Him. But here's the way I hear that question. Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? Oh, The Lord is patient. He is kind. He's the one who waited on me and chased after me when I went through all the different battles of slavery that I'm still slugging through. But He has brought me freedom. He has walked me this far. And He who began a good work in me is faithful to continue that good work. 
He is kind. He is patient. He is the God who is the master who owns all of me, all of my life, all of my talents, everything that I am. And yet He's the master who became a slave for me. He came into this world. He poured Himself out. He went to the cross. He's the one who said, there's no temptation that I'm not going to face for you and I will triumph for you, Sam. And all of your shame and all the times that you wished you could have done better, they're mine. Your shame is mine. Your sins are mine. Your failures are mine. And He goes to a cross and He suffers and He has other people stretch Him out and hang Him on a cross. And He dies to give me freedom. All those things have no claim on me anymore because I belong to a good master. And so, if you're the person here saying, I'm not strong enough, no kidding. You're not but He is. And how do you then leave here and say, well, well, then what do I do, Sam? How do I go out and fight my slaveries? How do I fight against my taskmasters? And I'm here to tell you, if you think you're going to leave the sanctuary today and go to war against your slaveries by proving that you're strong enough or that you have this plan that's foolproof and you're going to do it in your own strength, I mean, spoiler alert, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. The Lord comes and says this, you're not going to find your freedom by trying harder. You are going to find your freedom by loving me more. Let me tell you how God has broken every one of my slaveries so far <laughs> that I've overcome you know, and put in my rearview mirror. As I fall in love with Him, He becomes so much better I remember when I first came to faith, all the Christians that I, because I hung out with a weird crowd and they were rough, but when I came to faith, all the Christians I could find were like into putt-putt golf and bowling and going to the movie theater and I was like, I, that, that's not what I want to do. <laughs> this seems boring. What do you mean you get together and laugh and have dinners and no, like, do you, do you do anything else? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But this is the reality. As I loved Christ more, I began to see how beautiful He is. He did something I didn't expect. He didn't give me strength to overcome my desires. He changed my desires. Man, as I loved Him, as I wanted to see Him smile, as I wanted to be more and more pleasing to Him, guess what? My desires changed. And all of a sudden, I found myself walking in liberty in those areas. And joy and peace with a master who doesn't put me away empty and abused and in a cycle of destruction. So the key, it's not trying harder. It's not feeling the oppression of, oh no, I owe God. It's, man, remember who He is. Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? Know who He is. That's the key to overcoming because you will want Him. And you will want more of Him. And when you see the slavery to appetite, that changes. And all of a sudden, you hunger and thirst for Him. 
that safety and comfort idol that you want to bow down to with all of your reputation and money and everything else, oh man, you find sanctuary under the wings of the Lord. That identity idol where you put on the mask and you want everyone to think that you've got it together, oh man, what more value could you possibly have than to see God who is the all-knowing, all-wise, only opinion that eternally matters, look at you and say, you are worth the life of my only begotten Son. Where in this world will you find identity or value like that? Nowhere. He is an awesome, beautiful master. And when you leave your slavery, yeah, it'll be hard. And sometimes painful out of the gates. But grab hold of Him. And all of His beauty. Want more of Him. See Him as more satisfying than all the other taskmasters that are competing for your love. And you will find freedom from a God who says this to you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Come to me and find freedom. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you so much for just how amazing you are. It's amazing how we can see so many slaveries in our lives, so many taskmasters, and be content to stay under their control. And Lord, we confess we, we don't have the strength. And we give you such praise and the fact that You promise us that Your strength is perfected in our weakness. Lord, I pray that You would give us appetites and hearts and identities that are utterly rooted in You. That just as we sang this morning, that You would be our delight, my glory, my everything, to where all the competing slaveries and idols would just fade away and look like the rubbish they are. Lord, I pray for this congregation, for myself and others that are battling slavery, and encourage our hearts. Help us to cling hold of You. And Lord, peel our fingers off of our idols. For Your glory and for our good. Amen.